Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. All right, after a little bit of retro action that we've had these last uh, few weeks, we're going a little more modern to 2017's Mom and Dad. This was a straight-out-of-the-blue selection by Craig this week. It is directed by a Brian Taylor and starring uh, the ever-so-subtle. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Very good, very good. You thought I was going to say Selma Blair or something? (laughs) Yeah, definitely uh, Nicolas Cage. So, yeah, I was kind of... Nick Cage, man, this guy's in everything now. Is there a project this man doesn't take? He's all over the map and all over the place and honestly often is playing these characters. This isn't really the Nicolas Cage movie I wanted to do. I was really interested in that new one that seems like he's in like a Chuck E. Cheese that's gone crazy or something and apparently doesn't speak a word. But uh, have have you heard anything about that one? Well, what is that about? Uh, I, I'm not really sure. I, I think I know about as much about it as you do. It's like uh, possessed animatronics or something. I don't know if they're possessed or evil or malfunctioning or what, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I also recent I <laughs> I also recently saw him in another movie, um Color Out of Space, which was based on a HP uh, Lovecraft um story. Uh and it was pretty good. Uh, I liked that one. Really I picked this one at the last minute. We had something else planned and uh I couldn't find it and because we're on opposite sides of the world it's not easy to immediately communicate so I didn't have time to talk to you about what we should do and so uh, I just went to Hulu to see what was on my to watch list and this was on my to watch list and it was also on the leaving soon list so I thought well Mm. let's give it a go (laughs) (laughs) our best our best shot at it and how do we feel about that choice (laughs) it's I don't know man people People rag on Nicolas Cage a lot. There are a lot of movies. There are quite a few movies he's been in that I've really liked. And I hadn't really had a problem with his performances. I hadn't really cared. Yeah, he goes crazy in a lot of them, whatever. It's Nicolas Cage. But also, maybe it was just because back in the days of The Rock and that kind of thing, like uh, he hadn't done, you know, 20 roles in a row that were almost like the same character. So it didn't bother me as much then. It doesn't really bother me now. I don't care. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in a bunch of movies, and he just plays a big, muscular, tough guy, generally speaking. So uh, I don't really have this these weird feelings about Nick Cage. Just like a little while ago, I was saying, maybe it was on this podcast, maybe it was just a conversation over coffee, that I don't really have a problem with Keanu Reeves either. You're good at playing a certain kind of role. Those are the roles you're going to get. And uh, generally speaking, Nick Cage is really good at going crazy. So he might get those roles. And this movie is kind of crazy. I don't know. I never heard of this before. It what, Did it play in the theaters or was this like a straight to streaming deal? I, I don't know. Uh... I think this movie got a theatrical release. I'm not really sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's bizarre. I had heard of it. I, I don't know if it was just, you know, perusing horror websites or what, but I had heard of it around the time that it came out. And I'm not a huge Nick Cage fan either. I don't have, um, 
any problem with him. Uh, you know, he is what he is, and I feel like. Uh, especially these days, he's really kind of embraced his unique acting style, and he puts it on display in the films that he's in, and he, he gets work, obviously. There must be an audience for him. Um, he must have his fans. Uh, he's a little bit over the top, kind of uh, akin in my perspective to like Jim Carrey not really my cup of tea but you know I I get it they have their own particular acting style and that's fine I think that I was more interested in the movie because of Selma Blair um I really like Selma Blair I've been a fan of hers for a long time I think the first time that I was introduced to her was um, in Cruel Intentions, uh, which is such a schlocky movie in, in hindsight, but and she played such a silly character in it. Um, but I really enjoyed her in that, and she's done a lot since then. She was in a John Waters movie with Tracy Ullman uh, that was crazy and off the wall, and I liked her in that. Um, and and she's done TV and other movies. I would say that if this movie has anything going for it, and it may have more than one thing going for it, but I think that Selma Blair is the shining light of uh, this movie. I just think that her... I don't know. There's something about her. She's interesting. Um, she's endearing. Sadly, you know, um, in recent years, she's been diagnosed with MS, which has oh, yeah? really... Re- yeah, and it's really restricted um, what she's been able to do as far as work is concerned. But as far as her life is concerned, she's a fighter, and uh, she's a spokesperson for MS, and uh, she's she's living her life with support, you know, from her fans and from her friends like Sarah Michelle Gellar, like Elizabeth Berkley from Saved by the Bell. It was actually Elizabeth Berkley who recommended that uh, she go get checked out. Elizabeth Berkeley's brother apparently is a doctor, and uh, she referred Selma to her brother, and it was uh, he that um, diagnosed her with MS. And oh, wow. um, she, when she was finally diagnosed, she was relieved more than anything because she had been struggling with symptoms for so long. Um, she said that she estimates that she had probably been dealing with symptoms of MS for 15 years before uh, she was actually diagnosed. Um, so, you know, it's a struggle that she faces, as do many people around the world. MS is is a terrible, debilitating disease, but she's a tough broad, and uh, I, I like her. You're right. She was the sh- definitely the shining star in this movie. Brian Taylor is the writer-director of this. Uh, he tends to do more high concept films. I think he did Crank, which was one of Jason yeah. Statham's earlier films, which is uh, again another high concept movie of this guy who has to keep adrenaline going in his blood, or he'll die because he gets injected with this thing. And this movie is kind of like that uh, in that it's 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 a high concept idea, and it is so simple. It's basically one day for for reasons we never never understand or know all the parents in the world decide they need to kill their kids just their kids it's a really (laughs) it's it's a really interesting concept and you're right that we never know what is going on it seems like somehow there's some sort of signal through televisions or something like through static and televisions that seems to be the trigger 
but it happens to different people at different times, um, and and we never know the root cause of it. But I think that the concept of eventually, you know, like the news stations try to explain it. They they say, you know, consider parental instinct and how your parental instinct is to protect your kids at all costs. But what if somehow that instinct could be reversed? And and I feel like that's a a really interesting concept. I just felt like ultimately it just didn't play out like well, I, I I have to say up front, as much as I was looking forward to watching this movie, I walked away from it more than disappointed, actually a little bit pissed off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt similarly, and this movie gets really great critical acclaim. I mean, there yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes score is high and all that, and they were saying, "Wow, it just I didn't find it that deep." I felt like it's just like it's like a joke, you know. It's like a it's like a, jo- a one punchline movie that just extends for an hour and a half, and I found it kind of boring after a while, honestly, because it didn't really have anything beyond that to say. You know, you watch a movie like The Purge, for example. Maybe that's somewhat close to this in a in a way, it, you know, where just suddenly society's kind of gone wrong and society's kind of you know. Ha- but 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 that that film. The concept has a lot to unpack. This notion that you know we 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 have one night a year to kind of uh, deal with our violence so that we can't be you know we're not violent anymore and uh, all of that. I mean, there's a lot behind that. There's there would have to be a history to that. There's sort of political ramifications. There's a lot to say. This is just sort of the idea that you know we love our kids. I'm speaking as a father now, unconditionally, we're supposed to anyway, we generally do, unless there's something majorly wrong with us, but we don't always like them, <laughs> you know, right, right. they, they, and I, you know, and even if you're not a parent, you were a kid once, and you remember right. how you treated your parents, and what a douchebag you could be at times, and or it's coincidental that I'm watching this movie at this moment, because my son just turned four, and he, up until about six months ago, was the most compliant, sweet, just generally smart and kind of like insightful little little kid. And uh, we would go to play dates and uh, he would be the one who, you know, if some kid was hitting or punching or kicking him or whatever, he would just kind of look in amazement like, what's going on? Why are you doing that? And I was really always proud of that. I heard about the terrible twos, and we get through the terrible right. twos and almost the terrible threes, supposedly, and there's nothing. But now here we are at four, and he's become that kid now. Uh, and if there's one thing I've learned about being a parent, it's that there's never any, like, stasis. It's always, like, just when you get into this routine, just when you think everything's sort of settled, and uh, you've, you're starting to learn about your child's personality, and everything's kind of congealing and... and into something routine it changes (laughs) i think it's just the nature of child development you know and it went through all of us and it's something that we all put our parents through and you know it's tough to deal with as a parent it just is tough to deal with and it makes you feel guilty because you just want to wring their necks sometimes you know right you know it so this movie just takes that notion and makes them makes a movie out of it but but the problem is that's it. Like, okay, like this is a normal part of parenthood, a normal part of the way we are. There's nothing more to say about it. So once that was sort of established, here's the idea. It just became 
a bunch of kids running away from their parents who were trying to kill them. Right. Uh, it didn't have anything more to say. Uh, they, now, don't get me wrong. It it leaves lots of room for black comedy and dark humor and kind of poking fun at this notion that, ah, you know, I would, uh, so we could really kill our kids sometimes. And But this movie does what horror does, you know. Horror is generally not subtle <laughs> as a genre. It really kind of revels in taking something and... Um, making it extreme and playing that out in front of us. So that's what it does. So this isn't a subtle psychological study of the uh, bond between parents and children and what that means as they develop and grow older and how the, you know, the toll that it takes on them. It's a horror movie that just says, oh, one day parents decide they've had enough for some reason and uh, all of their psychological frustrations on their kids get taken out in the most extreme ways and that they very matter-of-factly decide they need to kill them. And like you said, not anybody else's kids, just their own. Right. So I found it boring after a while. Honestly, I was kind of ready for the movie to be over after about an hour. Yeah. See, but I think that the, my problem with it is more, you know, on me. Because I had expectations for where I thought it was surely going to go. And when it didn't go there, I it irritated me. Um, I and, and I think that maybe it's because I'm not used to these type of movies. I think that they are going for a modern grindhouse kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and it's it's very nihilistic. Like it opens up, the very first thing we see is a mother with a a baby, a little tiny kid in the back seat of the car in a car seat and she gets out of the car and walks away and we realize that she's left the car on the train tracks and the train just smashes this car. And that's the first thing we see. After that, then there's this really interesting 70s style grindhouse yes. style opening credits. Yes. So, which which so had me re- excited. Me too. It was so <laughs> retro. It was just charming and fun. And I thought, oh, okay, that's what we're going to get. And then we didn't get that. No. <laughs> like, like the movie has a very modern style to it, I thought. Yeah, a very I, modern aesthetic. Yeah. So that was so disappointing. <laughs> which is strange because it, it does end up being pretty nihilistic. I mean, it, it's it's the story of this family. We've already mentioned the parents. Nick Cage plays Brent. He's the dad. Selma Blair plays Kendall. She's the mom. Um, there's a teenage daughter, Carly, played by Ann Winters, and a son who I guess was supposed to be probably like seven, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I felt like they had him playing a little bit younger than he looked, but whatever. Um, his name is uh, Josh, played by a kid named Zach Arthur. I, I don't know anything about any of these people except um, the two leads. But they're all well accomplished. I mean, they're all in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Voice acting, movies, TV, they're all over there somewhere. I, you know, just not instantly recognizable. And and it just establishes them as a family in the beginning. And, you know, at, at this point, it, they're very typical. You know, the son is still very young and sweet and cute and running around in his little pajamas. Meanwhile, the teenager is a teenager. Like... Um, you were talking about, you know, your four-year-old, and all of a sudden he's somebody that, you know, you don't recognize from six months ago or whatever. But that I think that happens to virtually every parent when their kids become teenagers. I was horrible as a teen. Like, I wasn't super rebellious, 
uh, as a teenager, but I was a smart ass, and I thought I knew everything, and I thought I knew better than my parents, and I was oh, yeah. const I was constantly in conflict and and fighting with my parents, and and my parents were great parents. I was the one that was being a dick, but at the time I didn't realize it, and, and I feel like that, yeah, you know most people go through that as teenagers, and I'm sure that's really hard on parents, and it does seem to be particularly hard on Kendall, the mom, driving the teenage daughter to school. She's trying to connect with her. She's trying to talk with, to her. You know, why don't you talk to me anymore? Part of a family, Carly, and that means that you love each other even when you can't stand each other and that you give a shit even when you don't really give a shit. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. See, it's just for me, you and Josh are everything. So you, you don't get to just shut me out. It's not fair. God, it's not my fault you have no life. And like... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would have said that to my dad, and then we would have had a horrible shouting match. Nothing in my life was better for my relationship with my parents than when I moved out. Um, <laughs> and and right. I, I moved out fall semester college. I immediately moved out of the house, never went back. I don't think I've spent a night at my parents' house um, since that time and I was ready to go my parents were ready for me to go (laughs) 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 and our relationship improved tenfold like we get along great now and and even then you know immediately as as soon as I was out of the house we got on great but I understand how this mother you know she's sad and I I can imagine I don't know and will never know because I don't have kids, but I can only imagine how sad that is. Um, On the other hand, and this is something that I kind of had a problem with in the movie, was Nick Cage as uh, Brent. There's a After this whole scene in the car with the mother and daughter, then there's a scene where the kid is lying on the couch, and it's a very ominous shot of Brent approaching Josh. It looks like he's going to attack him, which, I mean, I guess kind of he does, but it's a tickle fight. But then right after that, he the dad's getting ready to leave for work, and uh, Josh throws like a Nerf ball or something at him, and it hits him in the head, and it looks like he's almost ready to snap and, and rip this kid's head off then. And this is well before the sickness has impacted him. Maybe. So... And and throughout the movie, I got the sense that the dad is batshit crazy loco. From the beginning. (laughs) From the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, I felt like you're right. And that was a problem because it just kind of clouds everything. You're not quite sure. It doesn't seem consistent with what the movie is trying to be, where it's supposed to be horrifying that these otherwise relatively normal, loving families have these issues. But then again, dad is going through clearly some sort of midlife crisis. And I think that's what's maybe in between that clouds things a little bit because he gets these little flashbacks. Like he goes to his car and he just looks inside the car as he's about to step into it. And he has this, what is it, a Firebird? It's like a classic yeah, uh, car. Trans Am. 
Trans Am, and there's a whole story behind it that we hear later where he tra- he crashed it with his father made him pay to have it repaired. Now he owns it, blah, blah, blah. But um, there's this quick flashback to him as a young kid, you know, running around doing donuts in this car with his half-naked girlfriend sitting in his lap and kind of having the time of his life. A little over the top, you know, but uh, I mean, <laughs> I guess it gets the point across that he had wilder days, and they're done. Right. And he has this reminder of the wilder days, and he regrets the fact that he doesn't have those wild days anymore, and now he's just got two bratty kids. I mean, I felt like maybe there was a little bit of that that was supposed to be coming out here. It's just dad's going through midlife crisis, not necessarily going crazy. But you're right. Like, the movie plays with it enough. You know, it makes the tickle fight seem sinister, and then that seems like a joke, right? Ha ha, it's just a tickle mm-hmm. fight. But but then when he throws a Nerf ball at him, that's not a joke. Right. And so I'm not sure if we're supposed to read that as this is sort of a crazy guy, or this is a guy who, you know, I mean, just because you had a, you're, you're playing around with your son doesn't mean your son has permission to whap you over the back of the head. Right. Or if it's this person, guy's going through this midlife crisis he's having these issues and so he his emotions are kind of conflicted or is this the early onset of whatever is affecting all these parents is sort of slowly creeping in and you know it's not just a sudden switch that's flipped in their heads but it's something that kind of creeps in and that that was just a foreshadowing of that i'm really not sure what to make of that scene but yeah i mean the scene was obvious and intentional and very dramatic so uh i mean what what it did more than anything else is just really set up attention like something's weird here like something's gonna be going on yeah i i wanted to believe that it was that you know whatever this was that was happening to these parents that it was slowly setting in with nick cage but ultimately i don't think that that's the case because it Mm. seems like everybody else he's late to turn right he's late to turn he is but everybody else who turns um, it's it's immediate, but but do we see that though? I mean, we see yes, we see the immediate turn in the others. Yes, or do we just see that they've turned? We see the immediate turn. It's in my favorite scene, which comes later. But like, I feel like everything that happens up until that part is kind of just boring. Like, yeah, it's just setting up kids at school. Here are yeah. all the friends. Here are the relationships. She's got a boyfriend. Blah blah blah. <laughs> right and and like the teacher gives this big uh lecture about planned obsolescence about how like technology manufacturers intentionally keep putting out new things so that the old things will become obsolete and i thought that that was going to be like significant Relevant. but if it was it went right over my head they spent so much time on it yeah uh, it was weird i wasn't sure about that either but i'm trying to think about it now like does that mean are they talking about like, like, like kids and adults? Like, yeah. you grow older, and so then you kind of become obsolete. And I, uh, I don't know. I don't either. In the eyes of the younger generation, or I, well, right? I, I don't know either. We, we, I mean, we do start to see some ominous things. It's, it's like a zombie movie where you kind of start seeing things in the background that should suggest because we know we're watching a horror movie we know what to watch for but like kids are being called out of class at the daughter's school cops are showing up there um parents are like ominously waiting right outside the door of the psat where carly's boyfriend is is taking the psat but when he goes out nobody bothers him 
you know, because it's not his parents. They're just yeah. waiting for their kids to come out. The daughter gets her phone confiscated, which, again, I thought was going to be significant, but really wasn't. Like, I thought, oh, ha, ha they're setting this up so she can't doesn't have her phone. But, like, it never even yeah. is an issue. And then they evacuate. The, an alarm goes off, and the whole high school starts evacuating. These parents are waiting on the other side of a fence, um, and they're beckoning their kids to the fence, but most of the kids aren't going. But one kid finally does run to his mom and tries to jump to the fence, and the cops and the teacher try to pull him back, but the parents get him over, and the mom stabs him to death with her car keys. Yeah. And, and at that point, the parents breach the fence, and this is probably the most fun sequence. There's tons of chaos as all of these parents are chasing all of these kids, mm. but and they're chasing them through the parking lot and across the football field and like these great big fat middle-aged dads are like tackling their kids and um it it was a fun scene it doesn't go on for very long carly and her female friend see parents like running towards them and they cower in fear but the parents just run by so i feel like it's at that point that they realize and we should have point at this point have already realized that their the parents are only going after their own kids and i really like that part <laughs> like i don't i'm i'm stretching for things to say because it's like things keep happening but nothing is particularly significant like Damon gets attacked by, that's the boyfriend, gets attacked by his dad, um, and his dad ends up, you know, falling on the bot. He breaks a bottle to attack his son with, and he ends up falling on it on his neck. Can we talk about this for a second, too? Uh, there's some kind of problematic things in here. Uh, I, I thought the thing that, da- okay, the one child of color in this movie yeah. is the one whose dad is clearly like an alcoholic and an abuser an abuser and and it's and you know it's kind of made to be like the the way that he is now with this affliction isn't too far off from the way he is pretty much every day you know just one step away from murdering his son right and i thought oh come on really you know and then the family has a housekeeper who's chinese who has a daughter and i don't know man i'm sorry maybe also because i live in china and it wasn't even right the way she was speaking with her chinglish <laughs> like it was a complete caricature of a chinese maid or whatever housekeeper in who can barely speak english in this house and it was supposed to be kind of funny but i thought it was cringy the way that she talked and the stuff that she said i don't know man there was some that was weird too it was supposed to be funny, I think, but I didn't find it funny. I found it a little racist. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It, it, it's not as though um, non-American housekeepers don't exist. Right. <laughs> you know, like, well, they do, I, and they don't we, speak perfect right. English and all that, but, but there's a difference between the way it kind of really is and the way that like a cartoon character version of that would be. And I felt like she was closer to that. And when you're only representation of minority characters play into those stereotypes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I agree with you. It's, it's a little, uh, uh, but 
Oh, God. The mom, uh, Kendall, has a flashback where, like, she wanted to go back to her old job after the kids were a little bit older, but the boss treats her as though, you know, like, she's useless because she's been out of the field for so long, and she cries in her car, but then she gets a call from her sister, and we knew that she was waiting for this call, because her sister was going to be going into labor and she gets this call and it's obvious that it is the call and as soon as I realized Uh. that we were going to be seeing a delivery scene I thought (laughs) oh man Oh, yeah. this is going to be bad. Right, and, right. <laughs> before she gets there, the teenage girls like smoke some weed and then see news footage of parents killing their kids and Dr. Oz cameos um, <laughs> explaining explaining savaging, which is apparently a phenomenon in nature where animals kill their kids. Ah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Carly's friend gets murdered by her mother which Carly sees and screams and and run away runs away and then okay so i previewed it 10 minutes ago but finally getting there my favorite scene Kendall is in the hospital with her little sister who is giving birth after she gives birth she holds the baby and she's like loving on the baby and then all of a sudden on a TV screen in the delivery room mm. the static screen comes on that's true and everybody notices it and <laughs> i have to say that one of the, my favorite things about this movie was um the soundtrack i thought they made excellent use of music yes. and this was my favorite part <laughs> Yes. <laughs> this new mother this new mother is holding her baby and they see the static screen and all of a sudden you hear ding 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 and it is rock sets it must have been love <laughs> oh i thought it was so funny because the words of the song are it must have been love but it's over now <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And the, new, and the new mother starts trying to squeeze the daughter to death. And Kendall freaks out and starts trying to tear the baby away. And um, the new mom is, like, trying to grab a scalpel off the medical tray next door is trying to stab the baby. They eventually get the baby away from her, and I think they have to knock her out or something. Um, but that scene was really tense. It really was. And I just thought the movie was, or the music was gold. Like, I was just <laughs> laughing out loud. I'm like, this is so good. Uh, that was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's one of those eerie juxtapositions, right? Where you have this kind of music that's kind of supposed to evoke something different from what you're seeing on the screen, but also kind of fits. Yeah. And then that's followed up by, you know, a shot of all of these expectant fathers and mothers, whatever, just standing outside the nursery, staring in the window, like very patiently staring in the window, like waiting, like, like, just get that baby into my hands, you know, and uh, it was Uh so creepy. So it had these really creepy moments, right? And this really eerie stuff and a lot of mystery, too. Like, what's going on? What's with the static? Why are these parents turning? Like, what is causing this to happen? But then it I don't think the movie's really interested in the reason. No. Like I said, at that point, I mean, all of the exploration is kind of done. Right. And so all we get is parents chasing after kids and kids trying to defend themselves and that culminates in 
Josh and uh, Carly holding themselves up in the basement, trying to get away from mom and dad when mom and dad finally turn. And it seems to me like Kendall turns a little bit later than everybody else. And I wondered if that was significant in some way. Well, see, I don't know because, you you know, she... The interesting thing about it is it they it, the movie seems to suggest that that static on the TV is what triggers the change. However, they only then seem to be triggered at the sight of their children. So like mm. I assume that Kendall was, you know, she was exposed to that signal at some point during the day, but for some reason it's, you know, Mm. Even after that, she's concerned about her kids. Yeah. She wants to get to her kids. Yeah. And she hears on the radio somebody saying, whatever you do, stay away from your kids. Because it seems like until they see their kids, everybody's normal. Yeah. And then they see their kids and they freak out and they kill them. And then they're basically still normal except they're remorseless about what they have done yeah they interview a guy on tv intellectually i should feel devastated this should be the most awful thing that could happen to anybody i get that but it's just not look i'm trying to summon up some crocodile tears for you just so you don't think i'm a monster but i can't so do you think it's Good? What's happening? Absolutely not. I think it's horrible what's happening. But for you, it was exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) It had to be done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really kind of bizarre. And we get like all of these um and they do, you know, uh Damon and Carly get back to the house and where they find the housekeeper who has killed her own daughter who is there helping and she's just you know cleaning up as though nothing is weird but then the dad does get home and he has a really super angry conversation with the boyfriend before he even sees his kids which again makes him seem like he's unhinged already already yeah but then when he sees the kids he immediately tries to attack and he brutally knocks damon out on the floor and chases the kids and the kids go down to the basement when we get a flashback and we keep having these flashbacks that Mm. I feel like are supposed to establish something but I don't really get what Mm. like it says three weeks ago and we see that the dad is building a pool table and then Kendall comes down the wife comes down and fights with him about it like we can't afford this or whatever and it you know it does seem like he's having a midlife crisis like he's building a man cave or whatever but he's nuts like she chastises him mildly for doing this without consulting her and for spending money when they can't really afford it. So he picks up a sledgehammer and destroys, like it's a big scene of him destroying this pool table that he had just put together while singing some kid song. What does he sing? Like the Hokey Pokey or something. Super crazy. And then they... And then they sit down, and the dad, Nick Cage, has this whole monologue where he's just crazy feeling sorry for himself about, you know, how he used to be Brent, you know, and he was super cool, and blah, 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 blah. And and the wife sits down and very calmly is like, look, I get it. There's this bigger thing. All your life, you know it's coming. And there's this mix of anxiety and 
secret excitement and terror. Because you know that one day, inevitably, you'll create this life. The hugeness of it, the importance of it. Everything is building to that moment. And then it happens. And no matter what you thought it would be, it's not like that. I know this is the way things are supposed to be. I know we're doing it right. It's just hard to get my head around, you know? I mean, I used to be Brant. And you used to be Kendall. And now we're just mom and dad. Yeah. And I felt like that was supposed to be a really significant part of the movie. And I get it. I understand the message. It's true. You know, we all grow up. I was wild and fun, too, once. (laughs) 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 Now I'm in bed by 10 o'clock every night. Like, I used to be wild, fun, crazy party guy, and now I'm just Mr. Higgins, you know? Like, (laughs) I get it, but get over it. Right, and uh, so it's not super sympathetic. I mean, you understand it, but at the same time, like, parent or not, this is what happens, right? I mean, you know, it's not really about being a parent that that happens to you. It's just part of growing up. So it's it's not quite there. Uh, You know, she, I think what, I think what she actually says is she, when she's talking about the kids, she says, you, no matter how you think they will end up, it's not like that. So she's kind of saying, you know, you have this vision for your children. It's probably very positive, you you know, how you're going to have a relationship with them, how they're going to grow up, how they're going to turn out. And then it's just not ever that way for anybody, you know, and that's depressing. That That's a different point, right, from the midlife crisis point of I used to be wild and crazy and, and have my own identity, and now I feel like a completely different person. Blaming the kids for that? Uh, I don't know. You know, like, it's yeah, not Yeah, I like, was going to say, like, I feel like I understand it conceptually, but it's naive. Like, no. Yeah. Your kids aren't going to be exactly who you expect them to be. They are people. You know, they are individuals, and they're going to make their own choices, and they're going to be their own person, and they're going to screw up, and they're going to do things that you don't agree with. Like, n- you should know that going in. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> Right. Well, and you also— Like you said before, we were all kids once, you know? Like, yeah. Jeez. Well, and, and your kids didn't make you lame. Your job did. Your uh, growing up being an adult did. It's just natural part of life as you grow up and you don't do those wild and crazy, well, most of us anyway, we don't do those wild and crazy things right. anymore because we have responsibilities now because nobody's taking care of us. So we have to take care of ourselves. And that right. sometimes involves, uh, you know, a lot of work and, and a lot of struggle. And then, you know, you don't have time for running around, driving around in cars with half naked chicks on your lap. And so uh, like there's, it doesn't connect. I don't think it's a complete point. And the mom's response is a little bit more sympathetic, but the dad's it's, it's like the more I talk about it, the more it irritates me. Like when you grow up, your priorities change and they should. And he is like that loser at the bar who's just constantly thinking back on his high school glory days. Like, grow up. Like, well, and it's 
it's not your kid's fault. Right. <laughs> it's not the. It's not you becoming a dad that made you this way. You know, maybe to a certain extent, the kids are just more responsibility, so they're more things, quote unquote, dragging you down. But also, I mean, wait a few more years, and your daughter's gonna be out of the house, and you know, it's just like I mean, right. And you're in a. You've got a nice job, and you've got a like a clearly like established neighborhood, and everything's internal. Everything's personal for him, but it's all inward, and so. I'm really kind of failing to see the point that the movie's making. I mean, on the surface, when you hear this conversation, it kind of seems to make sense. But when you really think about it, it it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. And you're kind of shitty people, and you're kind of shitty parents, if that's the way that you feel. (laughs) (laughs) We're giving them no mercy. (laughs) And that, you know, everybody, you know, I, I, I can only imagine that parents have rough days and and difficult times and and everybody does and i get that but it just seems like he especially i I do get the sense that kendall is sad and disappointed that she doesn't have the relationship that she would like to have with her daughter i get that but the and maybe it's just nick cage's performance but his he's just he's only focused on him it's like he feels so sorry for himself and I don't feel sorry for you. Like, <laughs> you're well, just a douchebag. Well, here's the other thing, too. When you get mad at your kids, or when I do, it, it to this level where you just, like, want to, like, not literally, but you just feel like you want to strangle them or you want to shake some sense into them, it, it's usually because of an immediate thing. Like, they mm-hmm. are completely tearing into your day, or you are super tired, and now they're being an asshole. And it just right, right. is irritating. It, these kids are, they're just normal teenagers and yeah. they're not causing major strife in the household. Right. You could say that probably most of these kids at the school are not coming home and acting like four or five year olds where they're fine one second and crazy the next and you're irritated at them, you're mad at them and you just want to, you know, strangle them. It's just not that way. So... <laughs> no, I get it. I realize the movie's trying to be kind of a Twilight Zone what if type thing, and it's trying to make this point. It's just a hard thing for me to get behind and 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 really care about. It's, yeah, it's like sort of like too high concept, maybe is what is what I'm saying. It, it it's incomplete. It doesn't really work for me the way it was presented in the movie. Well, and the more that we talk about it, the more that I realize that that's kind of what my big problem with it is because I didn't really care. The way that I wanted it to turn out is I wanted. I wanted their parental instinct to somehow overcome whatever this was. Mm. And and I just expected that in the end, you know, I thought, well, maybe Nick Cage will die because he's an asshole. But, you know, Kendall seems nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she can overcome this. Something will talk her out of it, right? Somehow. Yeah, right. something will snap her out of it. But what does happen is Kendall gets home and she immediately switches too. And so both the parents now are going after the kids and, you know, Kendall tries to trick them by pretending to be nice. They're locked in the basement and she tries to coax them out. The the kids won't come out and so then uh Nick Cage <laughs> releases a tirade tirade of mother effers <laughs> like he says it like <laughs> he's good at it eight times in a row <laughs> uh, it's so silly and, and so then the parents try to get in they try to saw their way in the the son has a gun uh where there's a flashback where we see him playing with a gun which is terrifying to me that 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 uh-huh. scene just made my blood run cold but they shoot and i, I think kendall gets shot but she's 
fine. Um, when they can't get them out, even though the hinges are on their side of the door, and they could have easily yeah. just taken the I door I couldn't off. figure that out myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when they can't get them out, then they decide that they're going to run a garden hose um, from the gas line in the kitchen into a basement window and gas them out. That was, you know, all of this was so weirdly elaborate, right? I mean, uh-huh. come on. Like, he had his saws all. Just saw through the door. Just like you did right. once you realized that, you know, you thought the kids were gassed enough, which is what they do. Except the daughter is kind of smart, and she finds this place that she can... Kind of, that they could maybe hide and crawl out of the basement through the wall yeah. or something. And so then she gets some matches and the match thing and does this sort of MacGyver type thing where she tapes the matches on the door so that when the door opens, it's going to create a spark that's going to ignite the gas or whatever. But they'll be safe because it they're already gone. And it does. And Nick Cage gets blown away. The mom is totally okay. The dad is... Uh, burned but alive the kids I don't know if they were trying to get away or whatever but they're in the house now and the mom sees them and chases them and there's you know like a a flashback to nice times between mom and daughter and then Mm. the mom gets in and is like fighting and biting at the daughter and the boyfriend is somehow now magically awake and he's helping out and I don't know I think (laughs) I usually watch these movies stone cold sober during the day but because it was so last minute um i had to uh convince alan to watch it with me and one of the only ways that i was able to do that was like well we can have a couple drinks (laughs) um so so at this point i think i might have been a little drunk because i'm a little fuzzy (laughs) what was happening (laughs) well it's all it was is just a bunch of fighting i mean it was well done, I guess. It was seemed very brutal the way it was filmed. Lots of f- close-ups and flashes and sped-up things. And, and uh, again, it kind of committed that sin sometimes where things are, cuts are so rapid, you don't really have a sense of what's happening. But like you said, the sound design was really good. Mm-hmm. And it made everything very visceral and raw. And that bit I did like i mean i thought the cinematography and stuff was nice the problem is like like you said they were going for this grindhouse thing which which isn't generally known for it it just had still as stylized as it was and as brutal as it was it was still very modern aesthetic and that was a little disappointing because i felt like they were from the beginning credits and from the theme of the movie and where it ended up i felt like they were trying for something more retro but it didn't play that way so it wasn't even interesting in that way for me i was just ready for it to be over I'm like just okay just who wins who wins fight fight your parents and just i almost fast forward through, through all this it, it wasn't the, that yeah, great I, the boy, <laughs> there i mean there is some good brutality like the mom um stabs damon the boyfriend through the cheek with a, <laughs> a coat a hanger clothes hanger yeah and and, and that that looked kind of cool. And then she pushes him over the stair railing where he falls flat on the, you know, like tile floor below. And I thought he was surely dead, yeah. but he's not like how he should have been dead several yes. times. <laughs> 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 oh. But my, okay. So my second favorite part, oh. they had casually mentioned in the very beginning that the grandparents were coming over mm-hmm. later. And so just as the parents are about to, like, get the kids, the doorbell rings, and they're like, oh, it's Grandma and Grandpa. And I saw this coming, too, and I was so excited yeah. about it. 
um, the dad went to the door to and was like, Mom and Dad, it's really not a good time or something. And his mom pepper sprays him, and his dad, played by Lance Henriksen. Yes. <laughs> was great. Oh, man. Uh, stabs him and and Josh the little boy begs the grandpa not to hurt the dad and the grandpa's like he still loves the grandson like he's like oh sonny don't worry or whatever um but then it's a hilarious cat and mouse thing where Nicholas Cage is chasing his son and then <laughs> his dad is chasing him oh my god um, funny and and they end up in the Trans Am and like each father is trying to kill their son. Um, Kendall is fighting with her mother-in-law, who this was hilarious, too, because it turns out that the mother-in-law just hates Kendall anyway. Like, <laughs> she's, it's not because it's her daughter. It's just because she hates her and she's a bitch. And so they're fighting. The Trans Am somehow gets started and, and bursts out of the garage and ends up hitting the mother-in-law and I, I liked when the grandpa is, is is fighting with the dad, and he's like, "I fought in wars. What have you done?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <sighs> but the grandma gets taken out by the Trans Am. Damon knocks out. I don't remember what happens to the grandma or grandpa. Um, Damon knocks out Kendall with a shovel, and then the next thing we see are they have mom and dad, um, Kendall and Brent, both tied up in the basement, and. They're trying to, like, pretend to be nice and talking about how much they love them. And then Nick Cage says, we love you, but sometimes we just want to. And then it cuts to black, and that's the end, and I was so pissed off. Yeah. Like, there's no resolution. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Ugh. No resolution, no explanation. I could have done with the no explanation, but no resolution was kind of... I get, God, I, I I thought this movie would have been a good Black Mirror episode. Could have been yeah, interesting, sure. shorter form. Well, I, those aren't that short, I guess, but they're about an hour. An hour. Yeah, yeah. This this movie just got boring real fast for me, and I didn't feel like it really went anywhere. It made its little point. It wasn't even that coherent of a point, and uh, that fully formed, I should say, of a point. And then uh, it was just watching them all fight for a while and and run away from each other and then well, again that it was well done in that respect you know i mean it was well yeah, filmed I mean, it was exciting fight scenes and right. stuff but even it's sort of like watching transformers you know you you watch enough of this if the fighting goes on for too long with basically no break it does get boring and i did get to that point and then it, it just seemed like a you know a, kind of a vehicle for a bunch of these little silly jokes and uh and that's fine at least there were jokes but Ah, I don't know. It's disappointing. It was disappointing, especially I had been looking forward to watching it for a long time. It had been on my list for a long time. <laughs> Alan's in here. He just gave it two big thumbs down in case you were curious about <laughs> his reaction. <laughs> well, he's among the minority apparently. My goodness. I know. I don't get because, that. Yeah. It's got a it's got a decent um Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah. I just I don't get it. Like it, it didn't work for me at all. I ultimately I was kind of disappointed that 
I, I felt bad for making Alan watch it. I kind of felt bad for making you watch it. I think I texted you and was like, dude, it's it's pretty lame. Sorry. Oh. Like, <laughs> I'll never forgive you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Whatever. It is what it is. And there are people out there who like it. And so if you're if you're one of those people, shoot us a message or, or comment on our Facebook post and let us know what we're missing. Because I feel like I'm missing something aside from Selma Blair, who I really did think did it. I thought she did a really good job. I liked her. She did. Her. her performance was very nuanced. Yeah, I really liked her. Beyond that, I just, there was, that that's it. I mean, there was nothing else for me to really like, except for the music. Honestly, it was the nuance of her performance that made me really hold out hope that she was going to turn back. Like you said yeah. earlier, like she was going to come to some realization or something was going to snap back. And I was really curious to see what that would be. I thought maybe she would have to turn on the husband to protect the kids, oh. which could have been interesting. I don't know. M- maybe it's my desire for things to be tied up in a nice way that is uh, impacting my overall view of it. And, you know, that's not really fair. Filmmakers are under no, you know, they're, they're not required to meet my expectations every time in terms of in, in terms of storytelling, but uh, it just didn't work for me. But the, the, the lack of resolution kind of makes the point incomplete, right? Yeah. Like, what's the movie trying to say? Like, I feel like only some kind of resolution here would have clarified that. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, what the movie's saying is, hey, you know, s- sometimes parents hate their kids. <laughs> that's it that's yeah. it so uh, anyway well it was uh interesting to chat about it nonetheless thank you yeah Craig. yeah usually there's something that i can grab onto to say well if you like this if you like this i, I don't know i i mean i guess if you really really like Selma blair or you really really like nick cage i mean if you're a nick cage fan like you're gonna get nick cage in all his glory yeah. so i guess there's that but i'm not a huge i mean I, I think he's fine Do you know that he said this was at the time anyway his favorite role in 10 years yes well and like quentin tarantino loves this movie there's a a, a lot of people do Again, seriously, fill us in. What are we missing? <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it. I, I, I'm I'm spent. Me too. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can just search us online, Two Guys in a Chainsaw, and you can find our Facebook page, our Twitter feed, and our website. You can leave us a message at any one of those places and uh, give us some feedback. Tell, let us know what we're missing about this movie and also uh, suggest some other movies for us to do in the future. Until then, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw.